you have a Bible, 2 Timothy chapter number 3. Does anybody want this copy of the midweek with the... There we go. All right. I've never actually gotten to give it away, so first time. There we go. Inaugural giving away. Okay. All right. There we go. Yeah. I'm with you on the inaugural part. Yeah, a little, little difficult there. Um, hey, if you're new with us tonight or it's your first time, uh, maybe in a long time, we typically go through something from our Bible reading plan that we do as a church. We have spent this year kind of slowly moving through the New Testament, uh, reading a chapter uh, a day, about five days a week or five times a week, and then we just kind of sit and, uh, and spend some time with Jesus in those chapters. And on Wednesday nights, we choose one of those passages and we spend a little bit of time together in that during our midweek time. But we're reading right now in our Bible reading plan through the Gospel of John. We're also preaching through the Gospel of John on Sundays. And so it seemed like a lot of John happening if we also did it during our midweek time. So instead, we've decided to look at the entirety of the letter of 2 Timothy. And so uh, we have worked our way all the way to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And we are starting and picking up uh, tonight with verse number 10. So as you get there and you prepare for our time uh, together, as I was looking through uh, this particular portion of Scripture, it made me think about a time when we were trying to teach Josiah about respect and how important it was for him to respect adults and respect his parents. Now, I can't really remember at this point in time what it was that he did or, or why he was getting in trouble in this moment to, to begin with. Uh, I can't tell you what happened before, but but all I really do remember is that when we corrected him, he would not tell his mama, yes, ma'am. Now, listen, he was two, um, maybe even a little bit less than that. He hadn't been talking for very long. Janelyn wasn't even here. Uh, she wasn't in the world yet. And so he was he was little. We were new parents. Um, you know, we were really ca cautious and careful on like the hills we were willing to die on and the things that we were going to let go. Right now, you know, first parent kind of things. Everything's, you know, a little different. And then you get to the second and the third and then the, by the fourth you don't even care anymore right you know how that progression works well this is our first and so I don't remember what he was doing but uh, I wanted him to say yes ma'am to Kayla whenever it was done but he would not he refused for whatever reason to say the phrase yes ma'am and so I started pretty simple by just telling him that he was going to be in a lot of trouble if he would not. Now, mind you, just say the phrase, yes, ma'am. But he refused. Again, even after our little, our little discussion, right, face-to-face -face as I'm on my knee on the ground, hey, buddy, listen, uh, you don't say yes, ma'am. You know, there's consequences like this. You know, he don't even know what I'm saying, by the way. I'm using words where he's probably like, what is this guy even talking about right now? But for me, this was like, hey, me and you right now, you know, eye to eye, you know, you've got to say yes, ma'am. He would not do it. So of course my first, you know, logical thing as a good first time parent was is I spanked him. Like there he was, wouldn't tell his mama yes ma'am. And so I spanked him and of course he was upset, but then immediately I gave him another opportunity. I was like, okay, you know now. That doesn't feel good. I don't like that. I just want you to say yes ma'am. And so I'm, I'm finished spanking him. He's crying. All you have to do buddy is say yes ma'am. He refused again. So I spanked him again. He refused again. So I spanked him again. He refused again. Eventually I spanked him, brought him to his room, and he had to stay there until he was willing to come out and tell his mama, listen, mind you, the simple phrase, yes, ma'am. I don't even know why he was saying yes, ma'am. But all he had to do was say that phrase. Well, he wouldn't. We're hearing him. He's, he's, he's crying in his room. Kayla's in the bathroom crying because I won't just let it go, right? It's like everybody in my house at this point is crying. And so I went to his room again. I asked him 
again just to simply do what I had asked him to do. Listen, this went on for a long time. Like I said, everybody in my house is crying at this point until finally, after all of the wrestling, he finally walks over to his mama. You know, he doesn't even have any tears left, face red, and just says, yes, ma'am. That's all it took. I just wanted him to show his mama proper respect by just saying the phrase, yes, ma'am. Now, listen to me. At this point, I'm feeling it right now. And I don't even remember what it was about. But at this point, I was beyond frustrated with that little fella, right? Love him, do anything for him, lay down in front of a truck if I have to. But in that moment, it was me and him. Somebody was going to lose. Somebody was going to win. He needed to say yes, ma'am. He would not do it. And I am just, I am beyond the point of frustration. All he had to do was say a simple phrase to his mom and everything would have been fine, but he would not do it. Now, I tell you this story that really for me seems like an eternity ago because I want you to understand exactly how frustrated I was. Matter of fact, you've probably experienced some of those similar types of moments with your own kids. You might even say, Danny, I got you know, kids who are 30 now and it's still the same thing. I don't know what that looks like, but um, for me, I, I remember that particular frustration and how frustrated I was in that moment. Now, it would have been a lot easier just to let it slide, just to move on with my day and act like nothing happened. But for me, and still to this day, not just my kids, but I believe all kids, I still believe how important it is for them to learn how to treat people and how to respect people. That is something that we're not letting go. Now, listen, friends, my kids are far from perfect, all right? If anybody knows that, it's me. I live with them just like they know I'm far from perfect. They make mistakes all the time. In fact, almost every week, Josiah's playing in line when he shouldn't be playing, or he's roughhousing with some other boys, or he's splashing water on people in the bathroom, or he's cutting up while someone's, you know, he's waiting in line to get picked up from the day. It seems at least every week we get some kind of note that's sent home with him because he was doing something at a particular time that he wasn't supposed to be doing. I know my kids will make mistakes, and I'm okay with that, right? The phrase is okay with me sometimes. Boys will be boys, right? In some occasions, that's okay. But one thing that I've never been okay with and never will be okay with is my kids being disrespectful. You come and tell me that Josiah was wrestling with a boy in the hallway. I'm like, yeah, that's not good. I'm going to talk to him about it. You come and tell me Josiah was disrespectful to you that morning, and I'm going to tell you right now, he will be terrified by the time we get home. That is one thing that we do not handle. It is so important to me that I will go through any frustration to teach them this point. You say, Danny, would you have wrestled with him like that with anything else? Maybe not. Would you have spanked him that many times for something else? Possibly not. Would you have sent him to his room? Would you have had him crying and his mama crying and everybody in the house crying before you finally got what you needed to get? Probably not with anything else. But with this one, no amount of frustration was going to keep me from teaching him something that I knew was this important. Now, Sometimes we do things in life that are frustrating. And in the grand scheme of things, we can take a break from those things and come back to them later or maybe let them go forever, right? Now, if you're talking about beating some level on the game on your cell phone, I understand that frustration can pass and you can let it go. Not that big of a deal, right? Or if you're finishing some project around the house that's made you say way more ugly words than you ever needed to say, right? I understand you letting that frustration go and moving on to something else or putting together 
together that dollhouse or trampoline or you fill in the blank of whatever Christmas gift it was that made you want to lose your mind, right? Like I understand there's some things that are not worth the frustration. However, there are many things in life that are too important for us to give up on simply because they may be difficult or simply because they may be frustrating. I want to tell you one of those that Paul talks about with Timothy this evening as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. One of those is faithfulness to God. That is a huge, huge point for us to realize in our lives. There are plenty of times that we get frustrated when it comes to our relationship with God or with something that God has called us to do. Think about it. Our faithfulness to God is something that, though it may be frustrating at times, is way too important for us to move on from or forget about or give up on. However, it's also something that makes us frustrated a lot because sometimes our relationship with God or something that God's called us to do is difficult, right? It can be frustrating. This could be inconsistency with our time with God, right? How many times do we go, man, I've been reading my Bible really good, you know, last week, and now I look up and it's been two weeks and I haven't even read my Bible again. Like, what am I doing? What am I thinking, right? Like, that's super frustrating, how important we know it is to spend time in God's word, but yet how easy it is for us to drift away from it. It could be our inability to stop sinning in some area of our life. Man, I've prayed, I've begged, I've tried, I've done everything that I can do to get away from it. Danny, I'm so frustrated that I can't overcome this sin in my relationship with God. This could be a friend that's unwilling to see their mistakes, that's walking away from God. You're like, Danny, I am so frustrated with this person because they won't just do what they know God wants them to do. This could be this could be wrestling with our busy schedules and keeping God as the priority that he should be, right? It's like, oh man, I was doing so good and now I've crashed and burned. It's like, oh, I'm so frustrated with my relationship with God. You could put any number of things in the frustration category. The truth is simply that each of us have moments of frustration when it comes to our relationship with God or something that he's called us to do. Now, I think the reason or the main reason for me at least the main reason why I become frustrated is because of one simple problem that we often have no control over. Here's the problem. You ready? The problem is people. They are a leading cause of frustration when it comes to our relationship with God. Now, listen, I'm not just talking about people from the outside, because I don't know if you've looked at yourself lately in the mirror, but you are people, too. All right. So like the people doesn't just have to be other people. Sometimes the frustration with people is me, right? Like I'm the people that, that I can't get out of my own way, right? Like I'm the people that I'm frustrated with, but it can also be people in our lives, right? We're typically frustrated because of people. Just like, by the way, my example of Josiah, I was frustrated with him because he would not listen, right? Our frustrations, a lot of times when it comes to our relationship with God is because of something we people won't do or something something you people won't do, right? Like people are a leading cause of frustration. But here's what's significant. God loves us and he puts up with us and he has called us to love others and put up with them too. People are the leading cause of frustration, at least in my opinion, when it comes to the frustrations that, that come from our lack of faithfulness, whether it's us or other people, people are a huge part of that problem. The other problem is God knows people, loves people, gave everything for people, and wants us to do the same thing. So it's like, ah, right? It's one of those can't, can't live with them, can't live without them kind of scenarios. You know what I'm saying? Paul's words to Timothy 
Help us see a few reasons tonight why we should remain faithful to God even when we are beyond frustration with people or even beyond frustration with ourselves. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to read just a few verses at the end, starting with verse number 10. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord, let from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now listen, I want to I settle in for a few minutes tonight on 2 Timothy chapter 3 with this idea. How can I be faithful through frustration? What is it that Paul says to Timothy that helps us so that we can continue to be faithful to God even when everything else around us is telling us not to be, or everything else around us has made us feel like we don't want to be, or everything else around us has frustrated us to a point that we no longer want to serve him. Danny, how can I be faithful through frustration? Well, let me show you a couple things. Here's the first one. We should be faithful because of our teacher. We should be faithful because of our teacher. This is what we hear from Paul when he writes to Timothy in verse number 10 of chapter 3. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. He gives him a list of all these things that have produced from his teacher things that can help him live faithfully even through frustration. As a matter of fact, last week, if you were here, we read about how Paul warned Timothy about how difficult things would be in the last days. He warned Timothy of the way in which people would act and live and that they would be against the way that God desires for us to live. As a matter of fact, if you look back at chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, they're filled with the characteristics of what people will be like in the last day. By the way, when you read that list, you know what should first come to your mind? Frustration. Now, don't even just think about it from your point of view. How do you think God feels when he looks down at us, even though we have everything that we need, yet we still choose not to depend on him? We still choose to go our own way rather than his way. The frustration that must set as a matter of fact, 2 Timothy 3.8 sums it up best with this phrase. When it talks about people in the last days, corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. Friends, no wonder Timothy would get frustrated with people, even to the point that he might want to give up. No longer pastor, no longer serve, no longer follow Jesus. God, it would just be so much easier if I just did my own thing and left everybody else alone. I'm just going to give up. But Timothy and us, by the way, Timothy has plenty of reasons to remain faithful to God, even when frustrated with people. He could, in fact, think of his teacher. Now, let me go through a few of these really quickly. We don't have a lot of time, but these are directly from 2 Timothy 
chapter 3, verse number 10. First, I want to show you Paul's teaching. See, Timothy had learned the truth of the gospel from the greatest apostle, the greatest missionary, the greatest preacher that our world has ever seen. As we've already looked at in previous weeks, he didn't simply read Paul's letters like we read Paul's letters today. He actually heard Paul teach those words. He actually walked alongside of him to see that teaching lived out every day. As a matter of fact, you say, Danny, what was Paul's teaching? How could we sum it up best? Well, here's what he writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. He said, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's how you could sum up Paul's teachings. How could Timothy continue to be faithful through frustration? Well, he could look at his teacher. He could look at Paul's teaching. He could also look at Paul's conduct. He knew of Paul's character. He knew how Paul lived his life. He knew that Paul practiced what he preached. He had a great example to follow as he continued to walk in his faith with Jesus. Paul modeled how a follower of Jesus should act. As a matter of fact, listen to this from Paul. This is in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He wrote, be imitators of me. Watch my life. Do as I do. Why? Here's what he said. As I am of Christ. He says, as I follow Jesus, you can follow me. Timothy remembers what his teacher was like. He remembers what he taught him. He remembers the kind of conduct and the way in which he lived his life. What about Paul's aim in life? He brings that up too. He tells him, he says, listen, don't forget about my teaching. You've followed it. Don't forget about my conduct. You've followed it. What about my aim in life? Well, Paul left Timothy focused on the only goal that really mattered. That goal was winning souls to Jesus. No matter whatever else happened, Paul wanted to serve the Lord faithfully. He's clear about his aim in life. Let me, let me give you his aim in life. Let me sum it up. This is from Philippians 1:21. Here's what Paul wrote. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Timothy could remember. You know who you know who was with him, by the way, at the church in Philippi when he was first planning it? Timothy was with them when he went to Philippi. These are the words he told them. You want to know my aim in life? It's to live as Jesus. What about Paul's faith? Oh man. What better faith to see than the apostle Paul? There may be no better example of someone who constantly lived out their beliefs through faith than the apostle Paul. Paul would never tell you to do something that he had not already lived out, that he had not already experienced himself. Matter of fact, I love the picture of his faith that we get from what he wrote to the church of Galatia in Galatians 2.20. It's my favorite verse. You may not have ever heard that before, but it is. Here's what he wrote. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now listen to this. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't know a better example of faith to follow than the great apostle Paul. What about Paul's patience? Paul never quit. Even when it seemed impossible, even when he was faced with certain death, he remained faithful. This is why he tells Timothy, you have followed my teaching. You have followed my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, right? He preached even when people wanted to kill him. I can't think of being more patient with someone. But his patience is best seen in his desire to bring Jesus to people who no one else would have given the time of day. I think... His patience, which he taught to Timothy, is seen best in what he wrote to Timothy before this moment. Listen to what he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. Here's his words. 
But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You know how he knew how to be patient? Because he remembered how patient Jesus was with him. Paul knew. If God was patient with him, then he must be patient with others. What about Paul's love? He mentions that to Timothy too. Paul's love for Jesus seen through serving others was unparalleled. Even when Paul was imprisoned for serving Jesus, he would spend that time serving Jesus. I know, mind-blowing, right? He would preach to the very people who were about to hurt him. That is love. As a matter of fact, you remember what Jesus said when he was dying on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is the same attitude that Paul had. This is the same type of love. As a matter of fact, I wonder, I wonder if Paul's reflecting on what he wrote about Jesus in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. You remember this? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen, if Jesus would have that kind of love for us, then I think Paul would say that's the same kind of love. Timothy, that's the same kind of love that we want to show the world. What about the last word he uses? What about Paul's steadfastness? Paul was never going to stop sharing Jesus with the world. No matter how frustrated people made him feel, no matter how hard things may have gotten, Paul was going to share till he dropped. As a matter of fact, listen to how the writer of Hebrews puts it, which, by the way, might have been the Apostle Paul, in Hebrews chapter 12 in the first couple of verses. Listen to this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance steadfast the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, my friends, was steadfast. You know what Paul says? Me too. Timothy, don't forget, man. We can be faithful because of our teacher. Who's he talking about? Paul. Paul's saying, don't forget my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. Don't forget about these things that I taught you. Now listen, we can see guys like Paul all throughout Scripture who never quit and never stopped even when they were frustrated. However, our best example always, always, always is Jesus. And he could have called angels down to destroy the entire world, and he probably should have. Yet he endured death itself for the world, even those who would never trust him. We should never get frustrated, never be so frustrated to the point that we would quit. If Jesus didn't, and he is our teacher, he is our leader, and we're following him and his example, then neither can we. We have an example to help us keep on track. We should be faithful because of our teacher. Let me show you this one too, though. He reminds Timothy that we should be faithful because of our training. Now, of course, he's saying these things to Timothy, but I want you to think about them in your own life. That's why instead of putting Timothy should be faithful because of his training, we put we should be faithful because of our training. Now, when I use the word training, I don't mean some kind of practice or uh, some kind of workout at the gym or even some kind of, uh, you know, curriculum that you're going over in a classroom where you're going through some particular type of, of that kind of training. I'm referring to things that happen in our lives, whether we see them as good or bad, that God uses to prepare us or to train us for something 
greater. Say, Daniel, what do you mean? We could call them trials. We could call them tribulations. Whatever we want to do, they are oftentimes tests from the Lord. They're oftentimes training from the Lord to prepare us for something else. There are things that take place in our lives that we might think are bad or we might think are difficult, yet is God using them for good? There are plenty of examples of this. Joseph in the Old Testament is probably one of the best ones. Even though horrible things happen in his life, God took those bad things that others meant for bad, and he used them for good. Or we might think about the apostles being spread out in the beginning of the book of Acts because persecution set in. But what we oftentimes forget is because of that persecution, the church multiplied to the nations. By the way, because of that persecution, we sit in this building tonight reading a letter from the apostle Paul so we too can spread the name of Jesus to the masses. God used some pretty terrible situations so that his people could better serve him. By the way, think about the cross. You think Jesus woke up that day thinking, man, this is going to be great. No, the devil thought he had victory. The worst thing that could ever happen was actually the best thing that could ever happen for you and for me. This is the training that Paul was referring to for Timothy. He had many reasons to continue to be faithful through frustration because he'd been going through lots of training. Friends, we do too. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, sufferings in our life provide training. This is why Paul says in verse 11 of 2 Timothy 3, my persecutions and sufferings, there's that word, that have happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Specifically, Paul speaks about his sufferings with spreading the gospel. He refers to the many persecutions he had faced throughout his ministry. Paul speaks of persecution and sufferings in three different places. Antioch, find that in Acts chapter 13. Iconium, Acts chapter 14. Lystra, Acts chapter 14. You know what's fascinating about these three particular instances that Paul brings up in this verse? I wonder if Paul chooses these examples because it was that missionary journey and those sufferings in those places that led him, by the way, you ready? To share the gospel with Timothy's family. Do you know where they were? They were in Lystra. You know where these communities were that Paul's talking about this suffering in? They were in Lystra and around Lystra. You know who met Jesus because of those sufferings? Timothy did. As a matter of fact, if Paul didn't endure those sufferings then in Acts 13 and 14, it is most likely that this letter would have never been written because Timothy wouldn't be a follower of Jesus. Let that settle in for a moment. He tells Timothy of the hard times that he had endured for the gospel encouraging him to be ready to make the same stand. In fact, Paul gives some insight into his suffering in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm not going to read it all to you, but just listen to a few of them. He said, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. Listen to this. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger. Danger. Toil and hardship. That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. However, even with all the things that happened to Paul, he was taken care of by the Lord. 
Listen, we may face different forms of persecution as well. In fact, if we're making an impact for the gospel of Jesus, we certainly will. The gospel is very offensive to a lost and dying world. And when we step out and stand up for Jesus, we will suffer because of that. It will separate us immediately from those who don't care about Jesus. However, when we face these kinds of trials, when we face these kinds of troubles, our faith is made stronger and we're able to live for Jesus even more. Listen how James puts it in chapter 1 of his writings, verses two through four. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be, listen to this, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How do you get there? When you meet trials of various kinds because your faith is tested. How do you get to that perfect and complete, lacking nothing? It's only through those sufferings. Listen, if you're never facing the kinds of sufferings that come from persecution, it could be because you're not worth the devil's time to try to stop from doing anything because you are doing nothing. Paul says, no. Nah. Timothy, don't forget your training because sufferings have provided so much of it. Watch this one too, though. Sacrifices in our lives provide training. This is what he says in verse 12. Look back at it. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Indeed. I wonder if he uses that word because it's a reflection moment for him. I wonder if for him he's going, indeed. <laughs> sacrifice one, sacrifice two, all those things I missed out on, all that stuff I could have. Ah, indeed. It, it's going to be tough. There are sacrifices that are going to have to be made. Not only are all those who live a godly life will experience persecution. He says, all who desire to live a godly life. I think if someone desires to be godly, then it's going to mean turning their back on the world and seeking after God. And friends, when we turn our back on the world and seek after God, we'll have to let go of some things in our lives that other people are unwilling to let go of. We'll have to sacrifice some things that we thought we had to have. I don't know if you remember this. This is Jesus's words in Luke chapter nine. Here's what he said. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Friend, I don't know if when you read that, you don't think of sacrifice, but if you don't, you don't realize what Jesus is asking his followers to do. Paul tells us of some of the many sacrifices that he had to make. As a matter of fact, in Philippians chapter three, he lists a ton of them out. He was one of the best, one of the Hebrews of Hebrews. He was of one of the best tribes. He had received the best training, but you know what he said? He said, even with all of that, he said, I counted it all as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You know what he's saying? He said, I was willing to sacrifice anything if it meant that I could gain everything. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Jesus. Jesus is everything. Listen, Paul knew what it took to have a godly life. It meant that he had to give up some things that the world thought was great success. The devil's going to do his best to stamp out any movement of God. I wonder if when he wrote that word indeed, he's really reflecting on all the things he had to say no to so that he could say yes to Jesus. Friend, all those sufferings, they're providing training for what the Lord's wanting to do. Friend, all those sacrifices that were difficult that you may have felt like you missed out on, no, friends, all of that is preparing you for what God's wanting to do in your life. Can I show you one more? Struggles. Struggles provide training. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Verse 13. I think this is fascinating what Paul reminds Timothy of in chapter three. 
He says all this is going to happen. Suffering, sacrifice, man, it's going to be tough, struggles. All the while, by the way, look at this. Evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You say, Danny, what is he talking about? Well, really, I, I like the way the New Living Translation renders the translation of this verse. Here's how it recites it. You ready? It says, evil people and imposters will flourish. That's how it translates this phrase. It's a difficult phrase in Greek to translate. Some think it's more of a on and on from bad to worse. Others think it means bad to worse if you're evil. By the way, that progression, bad to worse for us is negative. But if negative is what you want, bad to worse is like saying good to great, right? Like what he's saying is, is that they will continue to flourish. They will continue to succeed while those who are good, those who are following Jesus will not. While the people of Jesus are being persecuted, for what's right. The evil people, the imposters, they will continue to have their way, even seem like they're doing better than followers of Christ. This makes me think back to that age-old question, why do good things keep happening for bad people, right? Well, it seems like Paul is saying that people who follow Jesus will struggle while people who don't, people who are evil will not struggle, but rather they'll prosper, advance, grow, experience success. As the NLT says, they will flourish. You say, Danny, why are you bringing this up? they may have their way now, right? Like, whatever party they think hell's going to be, I really hope they enjoy it on this side of eternity because this will be the only party they ever get to experience. They may have their way, their fun, their enjoyment now. However, they're simply deceiving and being deceived. They don't know the truth. They don't know that their day is coming where they will be rudely awakened we may not get everything we want on this side of eternity. There may be times where we have to sacrifice, but it will all be worth it for what we gain, and his name is Jesus. The sacrifices we make now are simply preparing us for something God wants to do through us later. I don't know if you remember these words from Jesus, but they come in John chapter 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's our victory chant, friends. We should be faithful because of our training. You say suffering, sacrifices, struggles. Danny, those don't sound that great. I agree. But can I just remind you, they're all pointing to something better. They're all leading us to whatever it is Jesus is doing so that we can live and serve the way that he wants. Without a doubt, serving Jesus will be filled with frustrations, but we can be faithful through them all because of our teacher, because of our training. Let me show you this one. Also because of our trust. We should be faithful because of our trust. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Look back at verse 14. I love what Paul reminds Timothy here because it is such a great reminder for me every day. He says, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, we already know, we've talked about it a lot, that Timothy had learned many things because of his time getting discipled by one of the greatest servants of the Lord in all of history. We could look at just the second missionary journey of Paul and see all the things that Timothy witnessed and experienced from Philippi to Thessalonica to Berea to Athens to Corinth to so many other places. However, can I just, here's where this, here's where this hits me. We also have many things to trust throughout our church traditions and heritage like Timothy had. Hey, he had experienced some great things. Hey, he'd walked with the Apostle Paul. Hey, he'd been shaped in all these different ways. Friends, can I remind you of something? So have we. 
We've had experience that have shaped us. We've been a part of churches that have blessed us. We've been a part of disciple-making relationships that have made us better today than what we were yesterday. Just think about our church and the way it's worked in our community. Let me, let me just give you these. Think about the trust that we can have in just the simplicity of the church. Friends, listen, Paul says, continue in what you've learned and firmly believe. You know what he's saying? We don't have to become six flags over Jesus to reach people. Doesn't have to be some extravagant, huge, explosive, oh my goodness, we're getting all these likes on social media. Everybody's listening to our podcast. People are flooding in because, oh, Saltillo is the greatest place in the world. <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be like that. We just need to hold true to the gospel and what we've been taught. And if we just keep spreading Jesus, the rest will take care of itself, the simplicity. What about the trust we can put in the sincerity of the church? You said, Eddie, what do you mean? Our church has always cared about lost people. It has always been vital in missions and sharing Christ. Simple and sincere expressions of the gospel will continue to see people come to faith in Jesus. What about the trust we can have in the success of the church? Friends, our church has reached people, and by the way, it's still here. Listen, if you got something negative to say about First Baptist Church, let me tell you something, friends. It's probably true. But can I tell you something? There are thousands of churches every year that close their doors because they're not faithful to the Lord. Friends, it's been years that this church has been serving Jesus here in Saltillo and throughout the world. Don't forget about what we have here, what the Lord's doing here. Don't forget about the simplicity and sincerity and success of the church of God. The truth is God hasn't left us and there's still great needs in the world. We just need to keep doing what we've been taught and success will follow. Now listen, if any, if any people can think about frustrations within the church, many of you in this room can think of them. You can think back to years before a lot of others of us in this church don't even know what happened here. You can think back to memories and arguments and divisions. You can think back to sad days and good days. You can think back to plateau and decline. and You can think about all of it. Some of you have been here forever. But in all those things that you typically think of that are negative, none of those things, no matter how bad they were, no matter how sinful they were, no matter how hard they were at the time, listen to me, friends, none of them stopped Jesus from moving in this church. You want to know why? Because God's bigger than all of that. We should be faithful because of our trust. Our trust in what? That God wants to use his church to change the world. You know he could have chosen any other way? But for some reason, way beyond my comprehension, he chose you and he chose me. He chose us to get the message to the world. And can I tell you something? He's still choosing us to get the message to the world. Frustrations, absolutely. But we can be faithful over them all because of our teacher, our training, our trust. Let me show you this last one. I'm getting there, I promise. We should be faithful because of our truth. This may be my favorite part of 2 Timothy chapter 3. I love the emphasis that Paul places on Scripture. I love it. Verses 15 through 17 may be some of the most well-known verses from all of the letter of 2 Timothy. You say, Danny, why? Let me just show you what our truth does. First of all, Paul shows us in verse 15 that it promotes salvation. Listen to what he said. He said, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now listen to this, about the sacred writings, listen, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Does the Bible save me, Danny? No. Jesus alone saves us. But you know where 
Faith comes, comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. Salvation begins in these pages as wisdom is born through his word to produce in us a faith that can cry out for Jesus. It reveals the truth of Christ and we must share the word of God or for people to trust in Jesus. The gospel is the word of God. It provides sanctification. It's great that it begins our relationship with Jesus, but friends, it sustains our relationship with Jesus. It provides sanctification, our growth, our maturity in Jesus. This is why he says in verse 16, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Friends, you try to add something to that list. You say, Danny, what's the Bible good for? Everything. Once you place your faith in Jesus, you know what the greatest tool is you have? It's right here, friends. Once you place your faith in Jesus, do you know what should be closer to you than this book? Nothing. You should spend every day in it. You should seek answers to your life in it. You should pray through it. Everything should come from this book. Why? Because it provides sanctification. This is how we know who Jesus is and how he desires for us to live. It is his holy, inspired, inerrant word. It is breathed out by God through his spirit, penned by men so that you and I can be changed forever. I love this book. It promotes salvation. It provides sanctification. Look at that last one. It produces service. I love verse 17. Why, why, why is the scripture so important, Danny? Well, eventually, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Danny, how do I know what to do? How do I know how to serve? How do I know what's next? It's all right there. Read it. Spend time in it. Because we can be faithful because of the truth that we have through God's word. Listen, there are plenty of reasons why we should remain faithful to God no matter what stands in our way. You might be like I've been so many times. You might be in here tonight and you might say, Danny, I am in fact frustrated. However, we have so many reasons to remain faithful even through what we might think are significant frustrations. Could be because of our teacher, Paul, and many others have shown us how to remain faithful. Jesus has shown us how to stand for God even when we could die could be because of our training. Everything that you've been through, every suffering, every sacrifice, every struggle has been to prepare you for what God has next. It could be because of our trust. The church has long been a force for seeing the world change. We can continue to serve the Lord through our church and see people change. It could be because of our truth. God's word is the power to help us remain faithful through frustrations. It teaches us to be saved. It helps us grow in our faith and it equips us to serve God. Friends, there's no reason for us not to be faithful in our service to God. Every member, every piece, every part of the body of Christ is a minister. Each of us should remain faithful to serve God no matter what comes our way. Faithful over frustrated. Listen, that might be you. You might be frustrated. You might say, Danny, I'm, I, it's so hard. It's so difficult. I'm just, um, I've, I've had it up to here with whatever it is in your relationship with Jesus right now. Friends, I hope this is a reminder of you. Reminder, reminder, reminder. Hey, listen. Bigger than your frustrations is your faithfulness to God and his faithfulness to you. We can be faithful through frustrations. Why? Because Jesus has given us everything we need. I pray the rest of this week, the rest of your life, faithful always comes before frustrated.